0: Welcome back to The In-Laws Podcast. I'm Brienne, And I'm Sophia. We're two law students who created this podcast to talk about law school, law talk, and everything in between. Make sure to follow us on Instagram at The In-Laws Pod and our law school pages at Law and at Law.
1: For this week's episode, we thought we would talk about true crime, its rise to popularity, and how it intersects with the legal field on social media.
0: So last week when we recorded we always go off on tangents but we went off on like a half hour long true crime tangent and we were like we mm-hmm. just make it this more organized and release it as an episode yeah. on its own um Absolutely. it's something we're both extremely opinionated about mm-hmm. so yes. this would be fun
1: yeah. yes I think also an interesting point is like We are both sort of consumers of true crime, but in different ways and like through different things like different TV shows, different podcasts, things like that. So we're not saying we hate it. There are just some things that we find quite questionable about true crime, its fan base and how it appears on social media and is interacted with on social media.
0: Yeah, I definitely think that there are ways that you can consume true crime that are less problematic, and I understand the draw to true crime, but like there's a lot of issues. There's a lot of issues. Brief overview of the issues I have with true crime, because I could literally spend an hour talking about any of these. Um, I think true crime is really interesting in that it hurts everyone involved except for the people making the true crime content. I think Obviously true crime content can be really harmful to victims um, and the, the family of victims. We will talk about how it can be really harmful to people accused of crime and really reduce the kind of respect people have for constitutional rights. And then I think it's also harmful to the people who are consuming true crime. For the people who are consuming true crime, I think one, It gives people a really, really bad, like, false perception of what crime actually is and what crime looks like. Mm -hmm. This is something we've definitely talked about before. You are most likely to be a victim of crime perpetrated by someone who knows you, who is close to you, a family member, a significant other, not a stranger.
1: Yep, especially because... Most true crime content, especially now and a lot of times in podcasts, is murder or like attempted murder, serial killers. It's it usually centers on that type of content. Like they're not talking about robberies like they're not talking about, I don't know, like stealing like money embezzlement. Like they're not talking about those crimes most of the time. They're usually talking about murders.
0: Yeah. It's always violent crime, right? It's, and we'll talk about why I think that there is such a draw to violent crime, but because you have this like misunderstanding of what crime is really like, it leads to mass paranoia. And like, mm-hmm. I think a lot of people who consume too much true crime have this paranoia that leads to alienation and, um, Like these kinds of people who are so scared to go outside and like be in the everyday world and talk to someone they don't know. As soon as someone is like following them too close in a grocery store, they're like, I'm going to get trafficked. I'm going to get trafficked. Mm -hmm. It's just not good for your mental health.
1: No. And I especially think of like the Facebook posts that are like, oh, I was in this Target and I got to my car and there was this thing on it. And it has absolutely nothing related to any sort of actual trafficking crime that's going on in the area or actual patterns that have like happened before. And also most of the time, sex trafficking is not just a random person getting abducted on the street. That is also a case where it's usually somebody, you know, and a lot of the time it's a significant other.
0: A lot of the time it's a significant other I think the two biggest populations who are victims are significant others of traffickers, and kids in foster care, like kids in the foster care system.
1: Yeah,
0: um, which is terrible. But like, if you looked on social media, you would really think that like nineteen-year-old wealthy white girls living in suburban Connecticut were like the victims of sex trafficking.
1: Literally. Anybody leaving their Target
0: could be you. Target, Costco. I did see one specifically about IKEA, and someone someone was following me through IKEA. Like, yeah, everyone <laughs> follows time. everyone through IKEA.
1: <laughs> it's like one main path with shortcuts.
0: <laughs> yeah, and it's just to me, it's very obviously like white women who go out, who go out in public. And then a man of color is, like, looking at them and they're like, whoa, that's scary. Like, <laughs> that's that's the only explanation yeah. to me. Yeah.
1: A lot of it, especially, like, what gets posted is, like, a fear tactic-y kind of post. It feels like you see somebody and that person makes you cross the street. That's what so many of the posts feel like to me. Yeah, And I just obviously there are indicators when somebody is exhibiting like weird or suspicious behavior, but I think because of this mass consumption, there are so many, like, that's the first assumption people make like the very first one. And I think it's kind of like built a distrust between people. And it's so strange, especially coming from somewhere where it's like, you know, like Midwest nice or like Minnesota nice and things like that. Like, You pass somebody on the sidewalk if you're alone or you're with a friend and they're alone whatever you say hi to everybody like you acknowledge people and I think we're losing that because we're so we're getting so stuck in this model of like strangers are in fact the danger all of the time when that's not true especially for true crime and what we're talking about
0: yeah it's definitely it's like almost sad (laughs) How, is. how people have like turned on their own community in a way. Mm-hmm. I just can't help always think like, how has this impacted how people treat like homeless people? Because mm-hmm. I, like, I've always been the type of person, like I like to have conversations with homeless people. I have no problem giving them money, but like I think so much of this has just created such an inherent fear in people mm-hmm. that they, like, people are not doing that anymore.
1: Yeah, like, just a suspicion of others. I think it. I think it's really dangerous because it destroys any type of, like, fledgling community we might feel. Mm-hmm. And I think, like, as a country, we're very bad at building community. So I just think this is dangerous because it can damage that so much further yeah
0: and also the way people's paranoia manifests is like I don't want to call it stupid but it's like kind of stupid yeah. like, I think everyone I, I hear it all the time that like oh men just could never understand that like how how women feel when they go outside and you know there, there's truth to that and to the fact that like maybe a little bit of paranoia is justified Mm -hmm. in some scenarios. Don't want to discount that. But, like, people are making in-case-I-go-missing binders on TikTok. Mm -hmm. And then a company was like, oh, we should profit off of that. And they started selling them.
1: Yeah, that's real weird.
0: Now true crime influencers are like being sponsored by them. <laughs> what the hell?
1: Oh, and God.
0: I think, the, I think the reason that so many women latch on to true crime, and just like a side note, in case anyone doesn't know, the vast majority of people who consume true crime are women. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, I think why so many women latch on to true crime, and then do things like create these binders is because they feel really out of control and they're just like trying to gain some semblance of control and that's why you like a lot of true crime youtubers i've noticed when they started getting criticism a few years ago would be like well like i'm just teaching people like how to act so this doesn't happen to them and it's
1: Mm -hmm. like whoa like (laughs) control over that absolutely <laughs> no control
0: that is just like textbook victim blaming yeah you know people don't get don't get murdered because they didn't have in case i go missing binders that's just not how
1: it works yeah and i think it's especially hard because in many times a lot of these forms of true crime or podcasts and stuff like that i see a very large focus on especially serial killers which are not the majority of people who commit murder. It's not serial killers. Um, So there's like a huge focus on that. And then there's also like, I don't know. I think there are some that focus on like quite different things. Like there's one that I listened to that's called um, small town murder and they focus on like very small, typically rural communities and things like that. And in those cases, it is good examples of like, those are good examples of like family situations or domestic violence situations. And those are like truly real life examples that actually make sense compared to the statistics for especially murder. But it's just so hard because most of it, most of what you consume is like stranger, 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 stranger unless they're doing some sort of focus on like family annihilators or something like that. But so much of the time, it has, like, this huge focus on serial killers.
0: Yeah. I always say, like, people will be like, well, I'm just really interested in, like, how the system works and, like, forensics and blah, blah. And I'm like. You do not learn forensics
1: from so a crime podcast. If
0: you are so interested in crime and so interested in, like, learning about it. Pick a random criminal case off Westlaw and read it and tell me you enjoyed that. Yeah. You don't. You you like the violence.
1: Yeah. It's, it's made to be entertaining. These yeah. things are made for you to enjoy them, whether it's a TV show, a movie, a Netflix special, a podcast, a book, whatever. It's made for you to have a good time.
0: Right. Because it's not... True crime isn't, you know, reading police reports. It's told in a narrative form. It's made into a story that's supposed to have, like, a clean beginning, a clean end, and a moral arc. And you're supposed to feel good at the end because mm-hmm. some, you know, person got put to death.
1: I mean, I I don't know of any specific examples, especially podcasts, because that's usually where I'm consuming true crime from, I really don't know of any specific ones that like truly get into the nitty gritty of like the timeline of a case or the timeline of them, you know, like seeking out perps and having suspects and all that kind of stuff. Like I'm sure there are, maybe there's some really good ones out there that I don't know of, but the popular ones don't follow that format. Like they're not told in a documentary way they're told in a narrative way.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, uh, I said this to you last week, the only true crime content I think I can like fully stand behind is The Staircase on Netflix, the documentary, not the movie series remaking, whatever. Um, but that was like from pretty early on into the investigation of this guy who was suspected of killing his wife, um, pushing her down a staircase. There's like a documentary crew that came and filmed him through like preparing for the trial, undergoing investigation, followed the actual trial. And then years later came back for the appeal and Mm -hmm. like explained the entire appellate process, explained why he got an appeal. And he actually, he got an appeal because this case happened really close to where I live now. And like, obviously I've, I've been working in the criminal justice system here, but like the forensics organization that was doing like, it was blood splatter analysis for this case, um, was just like faking results for the state and a bunch of cases got overturned.
1: Good God.
0: Yep. God. I think that's the only one that I can really point to. Yeah. Where you can. Otherwise, it's just like that. It's stories.
1: Yeah. Otherwise, it's, I don't know. I almost feel like there's like a law and order criminal minds pipeline to people who end up being super into true crime. And I didn't grow up watching either of those shows. Mostly because like that's just not what my family was interested in watching. And my mom doesn't like that kind of TV shows. Like me and her would watch Scrubs together. That's about it. Um <laughs> and then when me and my sister, when I was in high school, she was probably in middle school, I think we started watching Criminal Minds. And that was like my first like true exposure to it. Cause I wasn't somebody who read thrillers. Like I didn't really read murder mysteries besides like Agatha Christie stuff. But I don't know, I feel like so many people have like this deep connection to Criminal Minds as a show. And then because it's, it makes you feel like you're learning so much almost. And I think that's the part that's like really iffy about it is the way they make that show, they make you feel like, oh, you're learning about psychology and you're learning about how to figure out who like unsubs are and stuff like that. But the thing is, is none of us are ever going to be in a position where we're trying to figure that out, unless we go on to do something as technical as that, or we become detectives or whatever, those people, you guys are going to do that. But the for the majority of us, like, we're not going to see something happen or see somebody on the street and be like, Oh, they're exhibiting this behavior because of this childhood trauma, like, we just don't know those things. And a TV show is not going to teach you all of the things that you need to know to actually be an expert on something like that.
0: Yeah. So I, I definitely grew up watching all of those shows. Like I had an older brother. He's I well, I have an older brother. He's five years older than me. Um, we watched, we didn't watch law and order. That was never one of ours. Um, but we watched like CSI, we watched criminal minds. We watched the show called lie to me, which was like my favorite. I still stand by that show. Um, we watched like
1: cops, and like, yeah, yeah, my dad likes cops for some reason. He just laughs his ass off. It was
0: literally every time I was with my older brother and we were watching TV, we were watching some show like that. And then we both went on to get criminology degrees. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think we would both tell you that those shows taught us absolutely nothing. Nothing at all. <laughs> However, I think I watched a lot of them like literally from when I was in elementary school, like that cannot be good for your development. But when I was in high school, I started leaning more into watching documentaries about people who were exonerated, Um, like the Central Park Five, the West Memphis Three. And I think that's when I actually started getting really, really into criminal law and, and criminal defense and I think that's why I got interested in criminology. It wasn't like these shows. These shows were just entertainment.
1: Yeah. In some ways, I feel like they're they're just like a false security blanket. Like, and I think I'm I was definitely victim to this type of like thinking in like 2017 when I first started getting into it. It's like you you almost feel like if you can learn so much about it, it'll help you if you're ever faced with a situation similar to any of these things you've ever heard. And Like, when you are faced in a situation like that, which I've never been faced with, like, a murdery type situation, but, like, an assault, yes. When you're faced with a situation like that, you're not thinking about some random episode of a podcast that you listen to that's going to help you in this moment. Like, if you can just think of this one thing, those are not the things that you're thinking about when you're faced, like, by that or being attacked or whatever. Like, that's not what you're thinking. (laughs) <laughs> from personal experience
0: it's not gonna help you in any in any tangible way and it's definitely gonna do way like the, the cons outweigh the pros here it's gonna do a lot of damage to your your psyche your mental health yes. it's not good for you
1: yeah honestly at least for me it made me so paranoid but yeah. like not even where Like it happened because it happened when I was studying abroad. But like when I came back to my college town, like I could not go out at night. Like I had to drive everywhere and I'm a walker. Like I will walk everywhere. I don't care. But like, and I think this was also just like, because it was a college town and I knew that like assault rates are like so much higher when you're in college, but I like, I don't feel that way anymore. And I don't feel that way, even though I moved to like a large city. And I think it's just like one of those things where it puts you in this headspace that almost gives you like rationale for feeling that way. It's, it's literally a cycle like this thing happened. So I need to feel this way or this person looked at me. So I need to feel this way and stuff like that. And you just keep going and going and going. And it's, it's never beneficial. It's never beneficial to you.
0: Yeah. Um, months ago at this point, I made Soph listen to a podcast episode from the podcast You're Wrong About talking about true crime and the brain rot that happens with true crime. Um, <laughs> and, and the guest on it wrote one of Gawker's most popular articles from 2022. Actually, when going and looking back at it, um, it was in like their top five most read articles in 2022 called True Crime is Rotting Our Brains by Emma Burquist, And it talks about that cycle when you're a victim of a crime and then she at least leaned way into true crime and like consumed a ton of true crime content because it was really about like that control. Um, And then realized like, well, this is really bad for me. (laughs) It's not doing, not, not doing what I think it's doing. Um, So I'll, I'll definitely link that article because I think that's really fascinating.
1: Yeah. And that episode is just really good in general. So good. Yeah, another one of my hesitations about true crime is it, it feels like almost a distraction with like minute details where it's like, if you're in taking all of this information about these very specific stories and these very specific incidences, and this is how this person perpetrated this and this and this, I think it can distract you from your gut. If you're ever faced with something like that, or just honestly thinking in general, like your biggest ally is always your intuition. It's always your gut. And like, that's literally like what we're made for. Like our bodies are meant to sense danger. Like we're supposed to know what things are dangerous because of those like feedback loops and like what we're learning, but we're learning from like things that we're not experiencing. It's just not the same. It's not the same.
0: Yeah. There's actually this really, really fascinating thing. Um, about like the stranger danger campaign in the eighties. Um, I don't know if you ever watched like John Mulaney's standup, mm-hmm. um, but he has like a, a whole bit about stranger danger, and like the the cop that came to talk to his like elementary school, right? And this is this is a huge thing. People were taught it for like. 20 years before specialists started to realize that it was doing a lot of harm to children because the vast majority of violence perpetuated to children is by their own parents. So because we're teaching them, like, you have to watch out for strangers. Don't leave the house. Parents aren't letting their kids play outside anymore. Kids are just inside experiencing this violence and thinking well this can't be like what I'm supposed to be watching out for because yeah uh, yeah. I think my last big criticism this is obviously obviously a criticism I have it's just led to a lot of um increased carceralism and like the return of hard-on-crime attitudes you see like when I used to watch true crime, I would watch like Bailey Sarian who did her like murder mystery and makeup, whatever. And she will talk about someone who like got life in prison. And then all of the comments will be like, they should have killed him. Like they should have executed him. Like I hope someone in, in jail ended up killing him. Like
1: yeah,
0: just very vile and like, only perpetuating more violence i guess is what i don't understand about it
1: yeah that's something that i've never understood about the death penalty in general is like i i just truly feel like as humans we have no right to ever decide whether somebody like lives or dies and i think there can be like extreme extreme extenuating circumstances and i don't know what those would be for me but just in general i just like I don't feel like we we have the right to do that in the slightest.
0: Yeah I think like (laughs) I used to get into these like debates with people about the the death penalty and like things about like the cost of the death penalty and the effectiveness of the drugs and like whatever and it's like a few years ago, I accepted and was like, no, I just think it's wrong. Like, I just don't think that we should give the state the power to kill people. Yeah. Like, it's just
1: that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, I just think it's, like, genuinely horrible.
0: Yeah. I think it's morally corrupt. And I can engage with anyone about, like, all of these different factors that might convince someone who's, like, neutral to oppose the death penalty. But, like... At the end of the day, I just think it's wrong. I think that honestly, I'm surprised that more lawyers have not stepped into the true crime community. This is true. I agree. I think that, like, I think that if a lawyer ever did and started making true crime content, I think that they would absolutely blow up. I think, like, I think they'd be very successful. However, I think that they would be completely ostracized by the legal community.
1: Yeah, I think there are, I mean, we all know, and we've talked about it so many times before, the legal field is constantly gatekept. There are so many little things, big things that like, you just, you never learn until you are in those environments and you never learn and you don't give that information to lay people. Mm -hmm. And if somebody were to build a platform Especially, like, explaining procedure and, like, explaining a case in, like, great detail and why an attorney made a certain choice or why an attorney made a certain type of appeal or why, you know, they objected to something or, like, why evidence was stipulated. Like, different things. I Yeah, I agree. Like, people, other people in the legal field don't want people to generally know that information. Like, they don't. I
0: actually like. I have a really different read of it than that. I think that lawyers are already doing that. I think that lawyers have already made that their platform, like, like
1: giving out that information.
0: Yeah, like um, let me find her at real quick. Heather, the lawyer on TikTok. Do you follow her? I don't think so. Um. So she has. She's a lawyer. She used to work for the California Bar. She is, I think, a solo practitioner now, um, and also hosts a podcast. But her entire TikTok presence is essentially doing
1: that—explaining um, the minutia.
0: Yeah, and I actually think she's actually what I was going to bring up for how I think that lawyers can improve true crime, um, mm-hmm. because she really does like get into the nitty gritty and she tells people the things that are not popular that like people do not want to hear Mm -hmm. um which i'm surprised but she has she has like 200,000 followers every time there is like a very public trial she is doing this um but i more meant like if a lawyer started covering true crime the way that true crime content creators are
1: oh like with narratives and okay okay
0: um or, like, you know, just, like, the, instead of explaining a legal concept, doing, like, a an update on an investigation and, like, just these things that, like, especially with, like, the Idaho 4 murders, like, if they were creating content that was, like, following the storyline of that, I think mm-hmm. that the legal community would ostracize them. I think they would ostracize them rightly because that's not something the legal community generally believes in. We are supposed to believe in like fair trials. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And like, should we? That's a different question. But I think that generally they would be completely ostracized from the legal
1: community. Yeah, that's very different. I just, I feel like you would just become perceived as very silly. Like oh, you're yeah. capitalizing on something one we've talked about. I don't know if we talked about this the last time this was cut or like when we were talking about the toy lane stuff. But it's like people think that because news exists and maybe they have like some sort of connection to it, that they should essentially report on it as if they are a journalist. And I think I'm constantly reminded of things and also constantly reminded of like how much I don't know. And so when I see people talk about something and there's like a very fundamental piece of it that they're not getting the concept right on, it completely changes what they're saying. And I think like that's the danger with people who should not be reporting on things who are reporting on things.
0: Yeah, I always say like. So I have a criminology degree. I've taken basically every criminal law based class you can take. In law school, I've done two internships with public defense. I've done white collar work. I have, for someone my age, for someone who is making content on TikTok, a lot of fucking information and a lot of experience. And I would not feel comfortable making these kinds of videos because, like, I think when you have this much knowledge and experience, you are like hyper aware of how much you don't know and the danger of trying to make this content. Mm -hmm. But for people who like genuinely do not know much, they have this like false confidence and it doesn't end well. Yeah.
1: Or if somebody knows that somebody has like experience or normally talks about things like that, I see it all the time where someone will come and be like, can you talk about this thing? And I'm just like, sometimes that person shouldn't be the person to talk about that thing. So,
0: the way that every fucking law student on TikTok was an expert on abortion law after the dubs.
1: Of uh. <laughs> uh. <laughs>
0: Babe, you took one con law class. You read six cases.
1: Like, I, cool. that was so hard to watch because I felt like every third video was like I read the opinion and this is what is important and that was killing me that was killing me and I think this goes into a whole other thing like the anti-intellectualism like sometimes each individual person truly needs to just read that thing sometimes spark notes from somebody who is not qualified and has some exposure is not enough. Sometimes y'all gotta go do the reading yourselves. I'm sorry. I know it takes time, but sometimes you really do. And I think that
0: right, that's where like the accessibility issue of the legal field comes into like huge play because I read that opinion. It was very long. It was not fun. Oh, jumbo jumbo. It was not fun to read at all, (laughs) but like really the only solution to cases being that long and complex is a casebook editor editing it down. And guess what? Sometimes your professors are like, they did a bad job editing this down and I'm going to make my own edit and send it to you.
1: Yep, yep. That has happened many, many a time in my classes.
0: Yeah. So like, there's, there's always going to be like different opinions on what is like the most important and like how to read a case. I think that's something the vast majority of people who are not in the legal field don't understand about this. It's like, I don't know how to explain to them that like interpretation of cases is subjective.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I don't think people understand that.
1: Yeah. I think it's hard because it's like once the decision comes out, it's like that's law. And especially when there's like a fat dissent. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Like, ooh, ooh, so close, but ooh. (laughs) Yeah. Or like, you know, a majority, but there's like three concurrences and they all decided to write, you know? 40 page report
0: they're like yes
1: but because of this not this and also this but not this
0: or even just like you're doing you're like taking criminal procedure and it's like oh well like this is the rule for when something is in a briefcase and then someone's like but what if that briefcase is in the trunk of a car
1: (laughs) (laughs) and it's like completely different for no reason
0: completely different So like, yes, there are rules, but we always find ways to get around them and we just make different rules.
1: Yes. Yes. And honestly, like, that's part of the government's job is to realize when laws and things are not serving us anymore. Like, that's literally part of their job. Yeah. Yep. Ooh.
0: Okay. Okay. (laughs) just gotta calm myself down (laughs) so like I said Heather the lawyer on TikTok I think is probably the person I see this doing like the most often is you know she's out there explaining cases to people explaining like opinions you get from a court, she like would dissect the um, like testimony of people in trials as they're happening. Again, I don't entirely agree with lawyers doing this, but I think that's probably the most productive
1: because
0: the misunderstanding and misinformation that is just like All over TikTok and Twitter and YouTube. Whenever there's a case in the public eye, is so wild.
1: Yes, and I think that like really goes into why the important parts of what you're saying her content is like. You need to explain like those legal rules and principles because people who have no exposure, no experience, no knowledge, whatever, or they don't do research or don't understand the research on these things. It's like. There are certain words, certain phrases that are thrown around, especially in true crime, that are just like not actually how they're applied or just don't actually exist in the way that they're saying they exist. Yeah.
0: I know that um, with the Tory Lane trial, there was one that I swear every lawyer was like ripping their hair out whenever they heard it. And it was just like every every video you saw was talking about this surprise witness. Oh. I think we even mentioned it in like our little discussion about Tory lanes. That's not a thing.
1: Uh-uh. <laughs> wow. <Whoa>. No.
0: No. <laughs> and there's a bunch I mean there are ones that are just, they're like repeat offenders. A lot of the times you'll hear like, well, that's circumstantial evidence. And it's like, yeah, almost all evidence is. Like, I don't know how to explain that to you.
1: <laughs> that's how you build a case. Yep. You gotta you got throw it a lot in there. <laughs> Direct evidence?
0: I haven't heard of her.
1: Yeah, she, you know, she visits once in a while.
0: <laughs> once in a while. Um, The big one that drives me up a wall is when listening to the kind of like narrative form, true crime, you hear a lot that like people got off on technicalities. There was a loophole that kept this evidence out, you know, there's a loophole about like confessions. It's not technicalities. It's not loopholes. They're constitutional rights. Yep, you don't have a lot of them. The government doesn't like giving them to you, so like, yep, at least appreciate them.
1: <laughs> well, you still have them. Also, like that's that's why the rules of evidence exist, and all crim right. pro, like those things exist for a reason because they are to make trials move along a certain way and try to be fair like that is the point like it is to reach justice whatever justice ends up being like that's the overall point so like to call something a technicality is just so strange because you you should be following the rules like if it's following the rules that's the right answer you know or like that's the answer that fits the best
0: yeah there it's not we aren't creating rules to make our lives. Harder as lawyers. That's not why we're doing these
1: things. (sighs) I feel. I just feel like there's so many like random misconceptions, and I mean even like because I haven't taken crim pro, but there are so many things that just even from you know a year and a half of school, or even like from one L. Like, I've realized in retrospect, like, how much of what people say doesn't make any sense in these contexts, or the way they explain things doesn't actually make sense with the legal principles. Mm -hmm. And then it's hard because it's like, those people usually aren't speaking with the exact legal principle in mind. So then Mm -hmm. it's like, it's like a, like a slight skew from like the actual truth.
0: Yeah, definitely. I think that there's a lot, especially true crime that's talking about older cases and like how evidence was built against a defendant. Even like, if I'm going to be honest, 30 years ago, 20 years ago, you hear people talking about polygraphs and bite mark analysis and shoe print analysis and blood splatter analysis. And it is like, we won't even put that forth in a court anymore because we know it's so unreliable. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And like these, of course, like these true crime content creators don't know that. Mm -hmm. And I don't think most people know that. I think if you were to ask people today, they would probably think that like polygraphs are widely used
1: we should do a poll like we should ask like do you think polygraphs are widely used do you think they're reliable do you think blood splatter is like genuine science <laughs> we should ask i'm going to say okay. I, think, I think dexter that tv
0: show i think it set us back <laughs>
1: uh-huh.
0: i think it set us back with this blood splatter analysis <laughs>
1: Everybody's like, yeah, mm mm-hmm, exactly. You see where it hit the wall, you know? The thing about it is, like, it's so hard because obviously we both understand, like, the general interest and even, like, in specific things, but there's just so much about it, and I think specifically the people who are doing the stories, like, if they have no either like, you know, like police work experience, detective experience, FBI experience, criminal defense experience, like expert experience. These people are reporting in quotations, telling a story about things that like they don't have the background for. And I think that's part of why it is so widely consumed because It's like, this normal person is explaining this to me in a normal person way. Yeah. Like, I don't have to go out and do the work myself, and I don't have to research this, which sometimes people end up doing. I mean, there's, like, whole, like, crime solver groups now and stuff.
0: Which are terrible. Uh, Like, real bad. Um, But, yeah, (laughs) I think, like, that can be the appeal of it. You're getting this, like, obviously it's false, you're not actually getting this great information, but it's like this one-stop shop for like understanding all of these things. But in reality, like police officers have experts that they use to analyze DNA and be able to explain like why this DNA matched. They have experts for fingerprints. They have experts for basically everything. They have experts for looking through a fucking cell phone. Mm-hmm. EAs have their own experts. Defenders have their own experts. Even the people who are the most qualified and have been doing this their entire lives don't know everything. Like they could not explain everything to you. They need help. Mm-hmm. So, like, why do you think this like twenty-four-year-old white girl with no experience, no degree in this, why do you think she's providing you accurate information?
1: The world might never know. Honestly, based on what we're saying. I think an interesting concept would be for somebody who has that sort of experience, like public defender, defense attorney, somebody who has people that come in from a specific case and talk about it. I think that could be very interesting, because even the host themselves, they don't know everything. They couldn't tell you everything. Even if they worked on it, they probably couldn't, because they're not... They're not the expert in all of those things, but it yeah. can be interesting.
0: That's really if, like the last thing I wanted to talk about is like, how can we redeem true crime? Is it redeemable? Can we make it better? Or is it like, we just need to take it in the backyard and shoot it? Like, <laughs> I think- Oh God. So right now, I think the best content we have out there that is related to true crime is lawyers who are in real time explaining legal rules about these very public trials. Mm-hmm. However, I think that is not great. <laughs> I think there's a lot of flaws with like people discussing current investigations, ongoing trials. Yep. It's bad. I will never do it. But lawyers never do that same thing to old cases, which is like kind of weird because that's how we learn everything. Yes.
1: (laughs) That's literally the basis for law school.
0: So like, I'm just thinking like, if we were really trying to educate people, Mm -hmm. why wouldn't a lawyer on social media be like, all right, we're going to look at this, you know, very realistic case from 40 years ago Mm -hmm. and explain it in a way that isn't terrible (laughs) and is actually like informative. I think the answer is that uh, people don't want to see
1: that. I think people like us who have like a background for it, I want to see it. Oh yeah, but I beat it up. <laughs> but I think because all or close to all of what has been like used and spoken about in the true crime space is strictly for entertainment to like fill space full time. I I mean almost in a way just like fill this whole or, like, back to the safety blanket thing. Like, it just feels like it's for people to have the safety blanket. Like, if I know all these things, it will never happen to me. And in life, you never, never know what's going to happen to you. Like, you – doesn't matter how many episodes of True Crime you listen to, whatever happens, it happens. Yep. And I think that's the, like, really hard part that people – don't and probably won't want a stomach when it comes to like a more unbiased technical ex like explanation of a case, because it's, it's not there for like the thrill factor. It's not there for like the, they did this so you can watch yourself by doing this. It's like, this is how this happened. This is why the DA made this decision. This is why the defense team made this decision. This is why the judge probably ruled this way. Yeah. And, I mean, if you're not interested in like the true science of law, then you're not going to care about like how things actually happened. You just care about like this person murdered this person and this is how they ended up in jail or this is how they ended up getting murdered themselves.
0: Yeah. And I also think there's a constant um a constant like need for retribution in these scenarios like there's nothing that people hate more than like an unsolved case that's why we have all of these groups popping up trying to solve cases um but like a lot a lot of crime most crime goes unsolved that's just like the reality of it Yeah.
1: That's like people don't want to hear that. (laughs) People want a solution.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean the the I mean the reality is like there is no solution.
1: Yeah. I I think that there is always space within media. And I think there would be space within the true crime sphere for some sort of media like that where it's you know somebody who worked in whatever capacity and then they had experts come in like maybe even like a seasonal thing like they do a season on a specific case, they get a bunch of experts or you know people who worked on it in different capacities and that's who they interview for different you know different parts to explain before trial during trial, that kind of stuff. I think that would be really interesting and I think there could be space for that. honestly. I should try and see if there's anything like that that already exists because that would be really cool to find if it does. But
0: I've tried. I think I'm kind of constantly trying to find good content like this. I, to be honest, the first season of what did they call it? American Crime Story. Is that what it was? Um, it was like the uh, OJ case. Yeah. So the first season of that, I think, got pretty close to that. Obviously, it was a fictional retelling. Mm-hmm. But I was, like, really surprised when it came out. I was like, oh, like, this is kind of explaining it how a case works. <laughs> <laughs> so it's kind of like explaining how Criminal Defense works. Um, and then, of course, season two came out and it was just like, horror and gore and nothing productive at all. But
1: I wish there was, yeah, something I'd like to see. I think I mean it's especially easy for me to critique it because I have like, I don't know, I guess consumed it for so long, like especially in TV like TV shows, Netflix specials, especially podcasts, like honestly I feel like that's where I've learned about it the most and it's all been as an adult because I didn't watch those shows growing up except for like cops. I did watch cops. Um, Bad boys, bad boys, what you going to (laughs) do? But like,
0: to be honest, I knew my Miranda rights from a very young age. (laughs) Thanks to cops. So in summary, true crime is rotting your brain. Um, There are a lot of misunderstandings when it comes to the legal side of things. And um, constantly obsessing over it is not good for your mental health. And speculating on ongoing cases is not good for anything.
1: Yes. Also, there's nothing innately wrong with wanting to learn in a historical sense, in a legal sense, about these issues, about patterns, about psychology, things like that. But it is the way that we are intaking this information, the way that we're receiving this information that I truly see as the issue and the way that it's framed. And I think what's most important, especially from this, if you wanna you know, wrangle with yourself afterwards, if you are a large consumer of true crime, The way that things are framed can be dangerous and it can also lead us into this like false sense of safety like we have the safety blanket of this knowledge when it comes down to it like being an internet expert in all these true crime cases is not going to help you when you are confronted with something and having these misconceptions based off of evidence that is not accurate to the actual statistics of violent crime in the U.S. is not helpful to you. Those things are not helpful to you. So just be mindful, be careful of how you are consuming things and how that is changing how you feel and how you act in your life outside of the media of true crime.
0: I think it really takes being self-aware with how true crime And even more than just true crime, how watching Criminal Minds and CSI and Law and Order, how that's affecting you.
1: Yeah, this is just like a, a be careful, think about things, you're capable of doing research, like, you can do it, you can do it. Yeah. Yeah. All right. That's all for this week's episode of The In-Laws. Make sure to follow us on Instagram at The In-Laws Pod. We post these full-length episodes every Wednesday morning at 7 a.m. Eastern Time. So make sure to follow and rate the podcast through whichever streaming service you're listening on. Talk to you next week. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.